I believe marketing must be a business growth driver. Um, got to link it back to performance in the short term where you can, and that's important for sure. Yet also, you know, investing in building what you stand for for the long term, because ultimately, you know, a brand is something that lets you have pricing power um, over the long term. And that's, you know, the language the CFO wants to hear and finding a way to show that the, the more clearly we can, the more we get the investment in marketing. Welcome to Building Better CMOs, a podcast about how marketers can get stronger and smarter. I am Greg Stewart, the CEO of the nonprofit industry body, MMA Global. And that voice you heard at the top is Zena Arnold, the CMO of Sephora. Before her current role, she worked at GE, P&G, Kellogg's, Google, Kimberly-Clark, and Pepsi. Wow. And she is also joining the board of the MMA. Today on Building Better CMOs, Zena and I are going to talk about the unique challenges and opportunities of leading marketing for a traditional retailer with a robust online business. Now, Zena studied computer science in college and only later discovered that she had a knack for marketing and leadership. She had one foot in the past and the other in the future, and the secret to her success has been adapting to learning at every place she's worked. This podcast is all about the challenges marketers face and unlocking the true power that marketing can have. Zena Arnold from Sephora is going to tell us how she did it right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Zena, how you doing? I'm great. Okay, so I need to sort of first off acknowledge that you're one of the many people who have left New York City for allegedly a better place in the last few months. That's right. I moved to the best coast, yep. Oh, I'm so disappointed. Every time somebody leaves, I feel like a small piece of me sort of dies, like angels lose their wings or something. I don't know. (laughs) No. But you were a New Yorker, though. I mean, like you've spent a lot of time here. Briefly, actually, oh, okay. um, but I loved it. I love New York. It's a, such a special place. There's there's nowhere in the world like it. I do miss it, but quite happy to be back in the West Coast, back in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, no, I lived in the Bay Area. It really is nice. I mean, there's pockets of it that have gotten a little wonky recently, but otherwise it's pretty darn nice. Yeah. And in fact, I used to call my friends when I lived out there and I said, I called back in New York. I says, I never knew how nice, nice weather could be. <laughs> you do get very you're going wow yeah. i really dealt with all the pain of either hot sweltering summers or cold winters yeah know. and i i lived in chicago too so i i really Ooh. had all extremes and and very happy to be in more moderate temps now i lived in chicago for a year i went there to launch cars.com and it was truly one of the most weather painful places i'd ever been in fact <laughs> what i love about chicagoans too they all say the same thing it's very funny i go it's so damn cold there and they go yeah but the summers i go no the summers are kind of miserable too and they go yeah it's pretty bad too <laughs> very, no, like they no. they all say the same thing because it's true and the winters are so bad that even though the summers aren't actually that great you are so grateful for them because the winters are so terrible that's what it is exactly it's just the contrast but they're really awful also no i actually i had done high I, when i was much younger i was i did high alpine mountain climbing right so i had all the gear for that and i would wear it there and it wasn't enough <laughs> It was really, it was really bad. I was like, oh my God. I, but that said, I did like Chicago. I do think it's the best city in America. Like for a city, like you got the river, you got great architecture. There's nice parks. Like it's well laid out. You can always predict where you're going to go. The traffic is never really bad. Like it's a wonderful city to be a part of. My joke was always, if, you know, why the hell did they have to put it there? Did they just put it someplace else? Oh, well, okay. I guess I'm missing the point. Hey, the other thing, interesting before we get into our sort of main conversation, is that you're one of the rare marketing people with a computer science degree. I am. I okay, am. so why did you do that, and why did you abandon computer science to go into marketing? 
Yeah, well, it wasn't really by choice. Um, so, uh, <laughs> well, there's a story. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, well, I've always, I've always loved technology. I mean, since I was a kid, I, I still remember I was maybe third, fourth grade when my dad brought home our first like family PC, and I wow. was just fascinated with it and loved experimenting and playing and and learned basic coding very early and just thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I, you know, didn't quite understand all of what would be coming, obviously, but knew that something here is just really cool and this is changing a lot and decided I want to major in that. So uh, when I went to school, um, I studied computer science, really enjoyed it, had several internships at really great um, companies.com, bubble companies. So I was all set to go um, work for one, you know, get horribly overpaid uh, for a 22-year-old coming out, but this was the dot-com bubble bursting. So just um, a couple of of months before I was supposed to go and start work, um, the company called and they said, we're going out of business, so you don't have a job anymore. Oh my God. Who was that? Can you you say who it was? Yeah, yeah. It was this company called Scient. Um, Oh, I know Scient. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Um, They were part of kind of the fast five, not the, the big five consulting and we did a lot of digital projects for companies and and you know again internship there phenomenal great company and I was very excited about going to work there full time and then the bubble burst so I I graduated from college I moved back in with my parents and said I got to find a job and and I was looking and looking and obviously it wasn't a great time for the job market but I was pretty fortunate to find a role um, in product marketing, product management at GE IT Solutions. Great. This was a company that that was selling um, servers, workstations to kind of mid-sized businesses. And for me, it was an opportunity to use everything I knew about um, technology. And I said, okay, I don't really quite know what this marketing stuff is going to be like, but, you know, I'll figure it out. Let's give it a shot. I ended up really liking it um, Uh because uh, GE has a similar view to a lot of companies of product marketing and product management and tech is is not just about the technology or just about the product. It's about managing a business. And I really enjoyed that perspective and learning about the breadth of business and how you can do different things to affect it. And so that kind of started me on my path. Path. I, I loved wow. marketing and uh, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. That's where I was living when I was working at GE. And so right in my backyard was Procter & Gamble. Of course, uh, the best of the best. People who worked there and, and they said, hey, if you want to do marketing, that is the place to do it. Did they value your tech background at that time? So this is like early 2000, right? Were they value? Did they say, yeah, oh my yeah. gosh, she's got a tech background. She'd be good. We, we'd like to have that. Or did they just go, oh, huh, hmm, bad degree. What about marketing? <laughs> no, no, no. I won't say it was a value of tech as in computer science per se, but P&G has always valued, and in fact, you'll find a large percentage of their marketing leaders have engineering um, tech backgrounds. And and I think because you learn how to think. You become very familiar with you know logical ways of framing your thinking and, and that's very helpful in business, not just engineering and tech. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was tech like oh computer science, but but they loved the kind of technical thinking that comes with yeah, those okay. Oh, okay. Okay. They've uh, okay. Listen, and you did great. You were at Folgers. I think you did uh, Folgers and you did uh, Olay. Is that right? That's right. That's right. I worked on paper bounty for years. My favorite brand I ever worked on. I worked on uh, bar soaps too. And I think I worked in a personal care. I kind of remember what the division was called, but yeah, I worked, I probably worked with 13 or so on brands in my career at PNG. I love PNG. Love, 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 love. Smart people trying to figure out good stuff. 
Yeah. A fantastic yeah. training. Fantastic. Ground, you know, fantastic. I think you just learn from the best and totally. because it's a culture of promote from within and training, yep. you learn so much that, that in other places, you know, you learn as well, but it's, it's more kind of on the job. I loved a lot of the structure that they put yeah. around teaching yeah. because, uh, yeah, it's, it's fundamentals that I carry with me to this day. Totally, totally, totally. I, same for me too. I learned some of the most from them. I just found it fascinating to degree which a brand manager really had to know every side of the business. I think it was the first time I really felt like I, like I remember Bounty, we were talking about palette size. Like I just loved it. Love, love, love. The silliest thing in the world, but I love that conversation. I don't know, I don't know why I remember that 30 plus years later. Oh, well. Hey, so listen now, you've only been at Sephora for six months. So I've got to ask somebody like you, who's got a technical, at least appreciation, you know, you've not done coding in a while, I assume. Okay. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you probably even understand how AI really works. Given your background and your extensive background in marketing, how are you looking at AI? I mean, it's sort of the talk of the town. It's everything that's going on. First off, we agree it's the most important thing of this decade, correct? Yeah, I would absolutely agree for sure. So how are you looking at AI as a marketer, as a CMO? In a few different ways. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled for what I think AI can bring to us as marketers um, in a few different areas. And, you know, part of it is my computer science background and knowing and understanding and being very excited about what's possible and the developments that have happened. And then part of it is, you know, as, as a marketer looking to see how I think so many different things will be enabled in this world once we figure out how, how to best use it. As I've been talking about it with my team and and folks here and even broadly in the industry, I think there's two big areas or or pieces of AI and how we can use it. There's how do we use it in processes? So a bit of the behind the scenes, if you will. I think it's already been happening in, you know, media buying and, and, you know, a number of things that are happening right now in digital media. I think it can also be huge in processes that we go through for creating work, even little things like tagging work creating or, or keeping repositories of, you know, all of our content. So there's so many things that can just be done so much simpler, so much faster, require a lot less manual work that I think everyone is all in on. You know, if you tell someone we can make some of these things that are a pain point easier, everyone's thrilled with it. One place that we have been using it that is kind of customer facing, um, if you will, is on our website with product recommendations. You know, we can use a number of different cues about you know what you have bought in the past or what you've looked at to suggest other products that uh, that you might like, and it's great. I mean, uh, as as a customer of Sephora, I love it because it services a lot of interesting new things for me to try um, that I like hearing and seeing about that I might not um, discover on my own. And just from a business standpoint, it's great as well because it's it's opening up um, new opportunities for uh, us to, to bring different brands, different products um, to our customers. Do you have a favorite application? Is there a business that you've seen that's offered a solution, whether you're using it or not? Or have you seen an application maybe in Sephora or even maybe as far back as Pepsi? I don't know. But um, that you've seen and you think, wow, that is really cool. I think that some of the applications I've seen of chatbots have been outstanding. Uh, totally. I think it was, was it maybe United Airlines that I, I was having travel snafus a few months ago and, you know, the, the line was busy and, and it was, oh, you're going to have to wait 30 minutes to talk to someone or you could try our chat bot. And I thought, oh, this is not going to work. Uh, nobody likes a chat bot. Well, but I'll tell you though, Greg, I was impressed. Um, really? I, I mean, you know, I, I kind of, here's my issue. Here's what happened. Here's what I need help with. And it was simple. It was clear. It made the changes hmm. that I needed to do, and I was on my way. So, did you not need to disclose that as an AI or otherwise dri- driven chatbot? I mean, did they tell you it was fake? It wasn't a person. That's a good question. I don't remember. I could tell that it was. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of how the responses came, but they were effective. Um, it helped. So, yeah, I, I think that um, those are only going to get better, and we'll continue to see um, the, the experience improve. 
Oh, the exponential gain in what's happening around all that now is just literally insane and in what, you know, they're releasing. And I think you're right. I, I'm actually starting to hear a thesis of like, you know, like my bot's going to talk to your bot. Zena, <laughs> we might not even have to do a podcast anymore live like this. Someday, someday you'll say, yes, let me, my bot's busy at 3.30, but can do four. Is yours available? No, no, my bot will be able to talk to anyone at any time. Like I'll have a million of them. Yeah, yeah, I can replicate my ADHD and have five conversations at once on different topics. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what we're suggesting is going to go on here. Hmm, I'm going to have to think that through a little bit if I'm going to be okay with that or not. Oh well. Okay. No, Listen, I'm not. I'm not okay with that. You're, you're not okay. With that, right? I, I, Let me be really clear. I'm not okay with that. Let's be clear. I want, I want, you know, a bot to like read and respond to my boring emails, but, but, you know, talking to you, this is the fun stuff. Let's get to the real topic here. Okay. So, you know, I ask everybody the same question and, you know, if you take the thesis of the MA, which is to really try to fix marketing, I mean, that's really what I have to do. So I use this podcast in order to sort of find out where we think the challenges are. Where do we think the problems are? It's not just about glorifying sort of the role that we do. It's like, well, where could we be better? Because that's the right long-term play, and that's what they may focus on. Okay, so the question is, what do you generally think that marketers or marketing doesn't really get right? Yeah, I'd say that many, if not most, marketers don't get that brand and performance are not separate Um, I think it's really important to understand that they each have to drive each other. They're each linked very closely. To be clear, it is not easy at all um, to, Mm -hmm. to bring those together in a effective kind of way. But when I've done that and when I've seen that out in the world, that's where you really get a lot of magic. You know, brand being this powerful statement of who you are, what you stand for, you know, your brand's purpose um, for, for existing in the world and performance being all about driving sales, driving conversions, um, you know, whatever the, the ultimate business goal is. But I've seen the best marketing is when those two things are influencing each other very, very heavily and elements of both show up in the channels that you might say are just one or just the other. And when you can figure that balance out, figure out that kind of yin and yang of of influencing each other, um, that's when the magic happens. I think this is the number one question I hear from CMOs. And I have, as you are probably aware, you know, we've been doing this research around understanding brands relationship to performance and optimization. So we can talk more about that. But um, since we decided to go down that project of trying to do some research, which we can get into, I probably talked to 300 CMOs and there's not one of them who doesn't say that in the discussion within their company. It's crazy that we don't have, I think, the answer to it. Okay. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you talking about brand optimized with performance? So you have to use performance in some cases and brand it's that combination of two different marketing channels or is it treating brand as a performance channel and then taking, I guess, responsibility for growth, not just in performance, but in brand too, as it might be to the, either the board or the CFO or wherever, wherever that might go within the company that you're at? I would state it as it's about ensuring that you have the right balance of things in the right channels. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's completely one thing or the other in any channel. So you, you might yep. say like, okay, if I'm I'm making a beautiful 30 second TV spot, you know, that still happens, believe it or not. Yep. And if that's your, your goal and you say, this is just about an expression of our brand, if it is this beautiful emotional thing that doesn't show how that brand solves a problem for that brand's, you know, customer or consumer, or if if it doesn't tell you ultimately what who the brand is in a memorable way, if it yeah. doesn't tell you where to get that brand or use that brand, then you might have created a beautiful piece of art, um, but it's not going to have any effects. And so yeah. those elements need to be brought in. Now, on the other hand, 
And you also don't want to get to using uh, a certain channel, especially something like a TV ad to say, oh, okay, the only thing this is about is performance. So, you know, I'm looking to get a click out of it. It's just knowing, okay, you, you probably can lean heavier into that brand side, but you need to have some of those elements of performance to make it effective in that channel. And, and in something like search, you know, again, here I'd argue you don't have a ton of space. You don't have a lot of ability to, to tell a story. But when you can figure out how to do that and bring that in with various cues or a tone mm-hmm. of voice, um, yeah. then you have the most effective performance ad because you can bring some of that bit of your brand and, and what you stand for into that. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I said it before, it's not easy to do that and it takes time to develop and, and it develops over time as in uh, I, most of the brands I've worked on, you iterate your way there to figure out both the big brand positioning things and the, the most effective performance. And you've just got to be open to, to doing that and playing with all the little levers until you, kind of hit something that works. No, it's interesting too. And by the way, I've done the research. Uh, I had done the research about uh, probably 18, 19 years ago maybe or so. But I did the research with Google in trying to understand if there was brand value out of search. And there was. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you're right. It's not sort of either or. And we're certainly not running TV as just for brand. It had better produce sales. Yes. Okay. So but see, I think the issue that we have there, so listen, MMA looked at this issue. We have a research initiative we've been working on for four and a half years. It's called Brand as Performance. And so the thesis is brand has to be performance, but it's over time. Yeah. Now, the challenge you've had as a marketer is that there was no methodology to measure that. I know that. I have asked 300 CMOs, and nobody has told me about an off-the-shelf methodology for that. We built a methodology. And I raised two and a half million dollars in order to do a series of research studies. And we are now out in field. We've done, uh, it's, this is public information. We uh, finished our first study with Ally Financial. And that's been talked about at the possible event uh, that we do in April. And then also at, our, at MMACO CMO Summit. We also, Progress has been executing a study. I literally yesterday saw the results of that study. I mean, yesterday we showed it to, I saw the, I saw the first results 48 hours ago, but we showed it to the board yesterday. And Kroger hadn't even seen it. We've shown it to the board so that nice that my chairman, chairperson, let me, okay, KVZ, let me get away with that. But thank you. Okay. And it's interesting. And so what we've discovered, I'll just, I'll tell you what the stat, what the data is now. Yeah. What we knew from the Ally study is that if you gained a dollar today in sales from a brand campaign, that campaign would deliver another dollar and a half over time. So 2.5x. What it appears in the Kroger study, and listen, I'd like this to settle a little bit. I'd like the research team to kind of finish their analysis before we be hugely public about it uh, at the moment. But we found that a dollar gain today likely generates between 5 to $6 down the road. And these studies are three-quarter million dollar studies. This is very serious research. It's never been tried before. And in fact, when I first told Google, funny enough, that we were going to, because you spent some time there, when I told Google we were going to do this, they said, we love this idea. We don't think you can do this. We don't think it's possible. And <laughs> we're like, okay, well, that's the smartest guys in the room just told us not possible. <laughs> you know, I guess that doesn't, you know, we'll go anyway, I guess is what we did. What do you think? Would you have any, we've never had that kind of measurement, right? We don't really know what a dollar invested today is worth in brand in the future, do we? I think what you're saying to me, which is funny for the computer science person to say, but from your gut, right? You knew it. Isn't that what you're in essence well, saying? Yes. I think we, we also um, showed in the longer term certain brand metrics. You know, there, there's a number of different ways you can you can measure it, but these these kind of brand love um, metrics. Yeah, brand love, brand uh, trackers. Right. <laughs> exactly. Have shown there's, there's certain um, things that if you track and improve over time, they have a strong correlation with, with your business over time. But it's never been uh, as tight as, you know, kind of the ROAS that you know you're getting um, from from a spend in performance marketing. So really excited to see that work. I think that could be really breakthrough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I mean, we think it's one of the biggest questions that marketers haven't answered that, you know, we really have an obligation to answer for the CFO and others. That's right. We do. We do. And I've mentioned it before. I I believe marketing must be a business growth driver. Um, Yes. 
got to link it back to performance in the short term where you can. And this is also what's so exciting for me about being in retail because you know, yeah. now this is getting that data at the moment of conversion. And, and it's, it's a lot a lot more than you get as, as a brand. Um, so that's important for sure. Yet also, you know, investing in building what you stand for for the long term, because ultimately, you know, a brand is something that lets you have pricing power um, over the long term. And that's, you know, the language the CFO wants to hear and finding a way to show that the, the more clearly we can, the more we get the investment in marketing. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's got to be really interesting. We should talk about that a little bit because, I mean, listen, you had Google Chrome, I saw it was a product, a Kellogg's, you know, you've got a, you had a lot of CPG in there and then some tech. Okay. But retail is a whole nother beast, right? And you don't have to use that word. You get daily sales. I mean, I've talked to enough of my retail CMOs on the board. Like you get daily reports on what the hell's going on. Like you oh, really know. I get emails every hour during our, our <laughs> oh big sales. This is oh like, my God. I mean, there's, there's, you can watch it, things roll in by the, the second if you wanted to on dashboards. It's so much fun. Um, is marketing set up to be able to sort of respond to that yet today, do you think? No, not okay, not yeah. in the you know by the second by the hour and and honestly I don't know if there's a lot that would come of making okay. those types okay, of changes okay. you know yeah. um, we're getting more and more closer to real time but definitely not in it and and I don't know that we really need to yeah, okay. either. Um, But the fun of it is um, seeing the impact immediately in so many of the things you do. You know, one of our key roles of marketing and retail is driving traffic, um, whether that's into a store or whether it's it's to our our site or our app. And it's pretty awesome when you turn things on to uh, to see that having a, a direct effect, you know, almost immediately. That's really like running two different business lines, though, in some regard, isn't it? I mean, customers are different. Expectations are different. The marketing is going to be different against those, I assume, or somewhat, or no? Uh, no? It's not shockingly different. And, and what we're, we're seeing, actually, is this omni-channel um, customer that, mm. that, you know, shopping um, online, sure, but but also coming into the store. You know, some of the exciting things we, we've done in recent years, we, we have a store mode of the app. So people can actually come in Mm. and there's, you know, certain cues and things you can see when you have the app open when you're in the store. I think there's a ton more we could do with that. Uh, Wait, what does store mode, what does store mode mean? You mean like you're getting like an AR? You're not getting an AR experience, are you? No, no, no. no. Okay. Um, but but you know being in the the store you can actually turn that on your app to help you find certain products that you're wow. looking for. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. So, oh, so helpful to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of um, interesting, exciting things that we can do to enhance that omni-channel experience. And you know, one of the things that's been growing um, for us a lot is buying online, picking up in store. So people, you know, are, are thinking about it. They want something maybe right away. They know the store is on the way home, but l- let me just order it, have it waiting for me. I can run in quickly, grab it, and go. So that kind of blurring of of the channel has been really good for our customer client experience. What is the biggest difference, though, you think, between doing CPG and going to retail? Like, what advice would you have for, you know, another senior marketer making that kind of transition that's been interesting to you? Yeah, I mean, I think and see the the pace and the quantity of the market work in retail is just off the charts, you know, in, in traditional brands, you've got a couple of key products that you are are launching every year, you know, a few big campaigns a year. And here, um, you know, we've got something happening every few weeks because you've got to keep the excitement, you've got to drive that traffic into the store. So I think that's the biggest difference. Um, I think the other big difference is always balancing a bit of your equity as a retailer and the equities of your brands um, and that you sell. And it's an interesting environment for me because previously, you know, in packaged goods, um, we didn't have any exclusive retailers, right? Like we we were in all of the channels. Everywhere. 
retailers were everywhere. And here at Sephora, there are a number of key brands that are exclusive to us. And so obviously want to talk about those. They're amazing brands. And so how do you balance, you know, telling that story plus our story? What what are we bringing as sort of the curator of all of these brands? But then obviously the brands themselves um, are... Uh, what people are there to buy. So that's another interesting and, and fun thing to balance. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this with Zena Arnold. Thanks for listening to Building Better CMOs. If you have a second, I'd like to ask a quick favor. Take your phone out and share this episode with someone else. It's all about making marketers better. You could text it to a coworker or a friend, easy. Or you can post it on LinkedIn and tell people why you liked it. There's one other thing that you can do to help building better CMOs, and that's to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. There's a link to do it in the show notes. However you support us, I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is Greg Stewart. Now back to the show. This is Building Better CMOs. Let's get back to my conversation with Zena Arnold, the CMO of Sephora. Hey, Zena, I have another question for you too, just kind of along this sort of this idea of sort of, you know, producing growth. Do you feel like you have a real advantage with a comp side? I mean, listen, it was a number of years ago, so I can appreciate, you know, like nobody remembers the language they learned in college, I assume. But um, do you find some advantage in having a computer science degree today? And how does that kind of pop up for you? I do, but I wouldn't say it's in the sense you would think of, oh, I, I can understand more about how, you know, AI works or or can be better at digital media buying details. It's it's mm-hmm. more that mindset like we were talking about earlier. It's it's like, you know, you learn as a computer scientist and and you know an engineer. It's like very logical, structured thinking yeah. um, how to um, attack problems, how yeah. to to um, solve them in very clear ways. Uh, so that absolutely, I feel like I use every single day with everything yeah. that I work on. But but the technical aspects of it, not really, because things have changed so much from yeah. when What I- language did you learn in school? What were you good at? C++. Oh, huh. How old is that now, right? <laughs> I get, Actually, C++ is still used, isn't it? A little bit, but A not- little bit? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you been in a senior marketing, like this senior marketing role? The past you know, few roles and companies I've been in, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, Pepsi was a senior marketing role. Kimberly Clark was the chief digital and marketing officer, right? Yeah. Google, yeah. you were the global head of growth for Chrome, right? Okay. Unless I get to be a, you know, a senior guy in a very small company, okay. But it has its own, but I work with very big companies like you all. I find that people underrate the difficulty that it means to get to a top job and then also staying there and being effective. So I always like to talk to people about sort of, you know, what was their path to get there or what does it mean to be effective in a senior executive role? Like in part, something like, you know, what advice, what was your personal experience is really what I'd love to hear. And then, you know, ultimately kind of what was your advice to the youngins in the business who are, maybe looking up and I don't know, I do hear a lot of people say, Oh, I look at my boss's job. I don't think I want that job. But so you obviously thought differently. So I don't know. Talk a little bit about what it means to sort of operate the level of some of these major giant, even sometimes global corporations. Yeah, I have been pretty intentional about the different experiences that I've sought out and different things that I've learned um, along each step of the way. You know, as we were talking earlier, P&G was a fantastic place to work, kind of understand a lot of the fundamentals, you know, not just of marketing, um, but of business overall. And then there's places um, like the tech industry. I worked at Google, just such an amazing place to embrace agility and experiment by doing. You know, there's this joke about um, companies like Google um, aren't strategic because strategy means making a choice and they don't make choices. They just try everything and then see what <laughs> oh, I'm not. Oh, I've not heard that. Is that right? They're just a test and learn environment. 
Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a little I bit mean, like throw it up against the wall and see what happens. I love it. Okay. That's funny. That's simplifying it a bit too much. But, yeah. I, I yeah, understand. It's, yeah. it's the ability to do that, you know, in, in packaged goods where the industry isn't growing as fast and the pace isn't so important. It's like you have to be very careful and, and like, okay, let's do a yeah. lot of research and analysis and put all of our money behind this one big bet and really hope that it works out. And in tech, you know, you can't do that because everything is changing all the time. And so, mm-hmm. So you, know, you make some choices, but you do explore a lot more, which which is fantastic mm. because you mm. know you get to um, you get to try so many different things. I mean, I, I'd say going to Google um, and, and tech industry broadly was definitely a tipping point in my career because I was able to accelerate my career growth because I was in a business that was rapidly growing, and so you know the the expectation is you know you're going to figure stuff out as you go. Um, there's there's not as much bureaucracy. It's like you have to move. You've got to figure it out. You have to make it happen. And I think that's just a fantastic experience to be in that kind of a growth environment because you learn a ton by doing. You make a ton of mistakes, but that's okay. That's what's expected. Um, mm-hmm. when, when you go to um, a more mature environment, something um, you know that's not growing as quickly, it's more focused on efficiency, you also learn a lot about being choiceful about things and and doing the right level of analysis. So both of those things really important to balance out, I think, in a career. And if there's one thing I think that has helped me is that ability to be um, adaptable to the Mm. environment you're in and, uh, you know, getting everything you can, learning everything you can from where you are. Got it. What's it mean to be adaptable? What is that? I don't know. Is that a roll with the punches kind of thing? Is that a figure out next new? I think it's being able to assess the situation and figure out what needs to be done and kind of selecting from your toolkit of skills of what is best applied to do that. You know, again, at a place like P&G, you know, deep analysis is very valued because you have to be very choiceful about the things that you do. Um, In a place like Google, it's actually more about that experimental mindset and, okay, how how can I um, reduce risk to try a lot of things as fast as possible, which is a very, very different mindset than that of that kind of deep analysis. So I think it's being adaptable is like having a lot of different skills and knowing when to apply them. How amazing to be able to operate. It's sort of the best of large marketing driven companies, Procter and Gamble, bunch of smart people, totally thoughtful, ambitious for sure. And then, you know, you operated, then you've also, you know, been successful within a Google, you were at Google seven, seven, eight years, whatever it was, right? You went back in the CPG. Now you're over in retail, which is really, I mean, I don't know that people of all the listeners understand how different retail really is from consumer packaged goods. I mean, like these are apples, oranges. No, these are um, fruits and bricks. I don't know. They're, they're just almost not in the same. They're things, but they're not really the same. So that's pretty impressive that you've done that. So is it just because you're a really smart person, you figure stuff out or is it or a style that you do or I don't know. I, I, I am a, a learner. I love um, learning and and kind of figuring things out, problem solving that goes goes back to that CS degree. But for me, I mean, it's just it's so much fun to be in different environments and learn from different people, different situations. Um, I've just always loved that process. You know, you, you've probably heard about um, the growth mindset, and I, I try to have that in everything I go into. It's like, I, I don't know how to do this yet. I'm going to figure it out, though. And having that energy to be able to do that, um, I think, is what has helped kind of um, make the transitions and have them be successful and fun. Huh, that's kind of, I mean, I'm kind of wondering what your parents sort of taught you at some level. That's where it feels like maybe maybe that comes from. I don't know. Because, um, you know, I think people could approach it sort of super stressful. They could take the pressure of it. I mean, listen, you know, we start to spend the money that we make. You know, it doesn't matter how much you make. You still will spend what you make. And so it's not really that you benefit hugely, uh, I think, at some level from that, per se. You know, and money doesn't bring happiness, at, you know, over, t- over time. It's better, but... Is it staying calm or 
Is it really just looking for the fun? What's the perspective you were given for that? Oh, I mean, I'd be lying if I said there isn't stress in everything that I've done. <laughs> okay. uh, there absolutely is. Uh, and I find that fun for the most part. It's, oh, it's okay. You so like the stress. Ends. Yeah. I mean, again, to me, that sort of signals, okay, I haven't figured out how to do something yet and I have to. So, you know, that's some fire under me to say, okay, let me figure it out. So, yes, I do enjoy that. And, and I yeah. think that's why I do what I do. But um, clearly there's, there's always moments where, you know, you need to, to step back and take a minute and, you know, remember kind of what you're doing it all for. Um, I, I have a son who just turned five. It's been the best experience ever. And, you know, my husband and I, um, I mean, we've always both loved kids, but also we, we thought, hey, if we don't have any, we love our lives. You know, we love to travel. We love to do a lot of different things. And so, you know, no big deal. And, and you know, we were both a little older when we had um, our son. And uh, it's just been a magical experience. Like it's a very hard one, <laughs> to be clear. Some of the stress comes from that too in my life. But, uh, but it's, it's super rewarding as well. And it really puts a lot of things in perspective. Um, uh -huh. to know yes. that there's, you know, um, other people depending on you who they don't know me for anything. My son doesn't know me for anything career related I'm just mommy and yeah. you know being able to be there for someone it's really special yeah wow I love that you know what's interesting is I talked to my my son we, he, we took him to college this year so my, my kids are older at this point right took him to college and I said well you know I said we were as we were driving this are you nervous about this he goes no no not really I go well, aren't you nervous about the work he goes yeah. I goes I've been kind of successful in school before and I go, okay, well, I, you know, college is different. He goes, yeah, no, I know. But he goes, I think I know what to do. And I said, well, what about making friends? He goes, oh, he goes, people generally like me. And so I'm not really worried about that. I was like, oh my God, if we could only all have that kind of attitude, right? I mean, that's what you just said, right? You just said like, like, you know what? It's gonna kind of be okay. And I love your sense of like for a greater purpose. I do think, listen, I'm not a, I don't think everybody needs to have children by any means. That's having had three. I'm not sure that you have to do that by any means. Okay. <laughs> However, it does provide a sense of meaning and purpose in your life a little bit, which is what you just said, I think, right? Completely, completely. And, and, you know, I, I am sure that um, other things in, in my life would have had meaning uh, as well. But this one, it, it's just been a lot more special than I thought it would be. Um, oh, is that right? Oh, yeah, that's so yeah. interesting. It, it, it really, it really is. It's been great. And I think that is because we waited until we were yeah. old. And, yep. and, you know, I think we, we got a lot of the things that we wanted to do done. And so, you know, it's kind of this, this great phase to enter into, like feeling, I don't know if you can ever feel ready, but feeling a yeah. little more ready yeah. <laughs> versus yeah. friends of mine I know who, who had kids really young that, you know, were like, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what I want out of my own life. And, and so it's just, you know, different, different benefits and, and um, different things that you're sacrificing. But it's been something that I'm really happy to say has been completely worth all the sacrifices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love, I love, uh, that's so nice to hear. You know, this, I heard uh, Francis Ford Coppola speak on some Bravo show. So you can just imagine which one it was, but um, <laughs> I still remember this day. It's probably, boy, it could have been 30, 25, 30 years ago. You know, he says, I hear a lot of you young actors, actresses, you know, talk about how you don't want to have a family because you're busy working your career. He says, I want to be really clear to you. I didn't even begin to succeed until I had a family. Mm. And I thought that was very interesting. I think there is, I think there's a balance, you know, and again, I'm not trying to, I'm not going to be the child that must have children advocate by any means. <laughs> However, I, I do think there's a balance that comes to that, that can really help when you're, you, you have a higher purpose than just whether or not we made the store sales that day. Right. Completely, completely. And to be helpful too. I mean, you'll, you'll find too, my, like I said, my children are older and listen, you know, Children get older, they have a little bit of trouble sometimes. And so, you know, the opportunity to help them is really very, very rewarding. So, well, listen, this has been super interesting. I'm going to do a couple of lightning round questions for you, though. Okay, ready? 
Who else in marketing, person or company, can't be anybody that you're working with currently, it can't be the current company, you gotta take them out of the mix, okay. Who else in marketing, person or company, do you most admire today? Whose work do you most admire today? I love the marketing that Liquid Death uh, is doing. Oh, uh, that's so interesting. Yeah, talk more. I heard about some of what they do. Talk more. I don't know much about the story. Go ahead. Yeah, well, well, they are um, a brand of water, which, I mean, I think that is the ultimate, ultimate marketing challenge is how do you convince someone to buy something they could get for free? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We, we, know, we, know, we no longer pay for long distance, but we pay for water. I don't know. The world's upside down as far as I can tell. Go ahead. Yeah. So the, the, this is a very crowded space. And, you know, you might argue what, what more is there to say or do, but I love their positioning. You know, it's like maybe murder your thirst or something like that. It's, it's a super unique tone. And they live it in everything they do, like whether that's their um, ad creative, you know, their look and feel of their packaging. Um, it, it looks like a, a beer can. It's, you know, very intense with a skull on it. But maybe most importantly, I, I love um, the brand acts, as I call it. The, the kind of What's a brand act? What's yeah, that? It's like things that they do in the world that show okay. what they stand for. It drives oh, buzz, okay. buzz, it drives engagement. You know, I, I remember reading, it was maybe last year, or the year before, they created the first ever sponsorship for a water boy on a football team. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> of course so they weird. should do that. That's of brilliant. Course they should, of course they should do that. And so, you know, something that did not cost a lot of money, yet so on brand for them, everybody, like, it gets a smile and a chuckle out of it. It's just, that's, that's really smart marketing. Oh, my God. You know what? I bet you every marketer, every marketer, if we asked them, would love to have an anti-brand almost. It's like, you know, we want to be just let to just go have fun and make stuff up and not worry about being proper, not have to protect a multi-billion dollar revenue stream. I mean, I got into it with one of my, one of my brands, one of the big ones. And they said, Greg, we just can't do that. Here's what they said. I'll never forget. They said, I don't want to be a person who took anything off a of $50 billion corporation's valuation. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's a whole new level. That's, you're right. That's complicated. I wouldn't want to be that person either. But, you know, we live in, in corporate America. There's a lot of sensitivities and there's more danger around some of this stuff than not danger. There's more. Um, it's harder not to cross the line than ever today. Correct. And get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no doubt there there is a lot of pressure for big companies especially, but what I love about something like what Liquid Death has done is this isn't controversial stuff that they're doing. Right. Super clever stuff. It's just like, clever. Really okay. Clever. Like, who would have thought of that? But it's so smart to do what they want to stand for in the minds of, of their right. customers and, and do it in a clever, fun way. So yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity for that. And, and they've done it super well. How hard is it as a head of marketing of a number of different companies? How hard is it for you to give freedom and reign for people to be able to bring those kind of ideas? You're trying to crank out the work. You got work to do. You got campaigns to launch. I mean, I Heather Freeland from Adobe told me she has campaigns with 5,000 assets in it. Oh, my God. That's a factory. That's not marketing. That's a factory. Okay. So, like, how do you give room, though, for people to, like, think, you know what we ought to do? Sponsor the water person on the, mm-hmm. on the field. Like, how do we get to that? Well, I think you have to start with a great insight um, about your customer, your consumer. You've got to have the freedom in what you stand for as a brand to be able to do that work. And then I think tactically, I mean, you have to actually just really make space for it and say, hey, like we want to do something that's a bit breakthrough and out of the box. It doesn't mean a huge spend. It just means thinking creatively, thinking very insight driven 
and and you know that kind of stuff happens and and at least in my world as we're thinking about it it has to happen alongside some of the factory systems you know of work that has to happen because all of that has its purpose and its place and and is very yeah. effective so you can't stop that but when you can do these kinds of things in addition you know that's where you start to see some real real breakthrough you know, I love. I don't know if people heard what you said there, but I think it might have been the. I, to me, it may have been the most important thing. You have such a clear sense of brand that when somebody comes and says, "Hey, what about?" Everybody goes, "Oh my God, yes!" <laughs> and that's only from the clarity of brand. Only from the clarity of brand, because uh, the clever ideas are not important if they're if they're off brand. That's, yeah, that's right. why marketing's hard. I think that's. I think that's what. Um, I think that's what people don't understand about marketing. It's a much more nuanced aligned thing than you think it is. It's much harder. Okay. How about what's, what's most underappreciated in marketing? Underappreciated. I think it's your current customers as brand ambassadors. Ooh, um, ooh, yeah. Because, you know, we, we often think of, okay, it's like, it's got to be about advertising and, and I've got to, you know, deliver a message of this kind of thing. But actually, you know, your, your current customers, your current consumers, I mean, if, if they're telling their friends about how great the experience of, of your product or your brand is, I mean, that's stronger than any ad that you can make. Totally. Unmeasurable, hard to assess, hard to execute, most important. Yeah. I like that. That's actually really good. Boy, spoken like a real person knows our customer. Okay, last one. You ready here? What is the one thing that somebody listening here can do to be a better CMO? Did they get the shot or they're in the job? What do you think? I think spending a lot of time understanding your customer consumer is so important. And, you know, I, I think we, we, can do that or get that in in the sort of traditional ways. Oh, sure, give me an insight report or, um, you know, here's our, our brand equity studies. But what I've found, what's been super instructive and fascinating is, you know, going on social media, um, following people that that my, um, uh, my customers love, you know, uh, hearing and seeing how Gen Z is talking about beauty. I mean, it's, it's really cool. And, and when you kind of get out into the wild and, and really listen, really observe, um, I think you just learn so much. And, and uh, it's just so important to always keep that customer consumer voice at the core of everything that you do. Oh, I so missed that. I used to do focus groups and all that with Procter & Gamble all the time. <laughs> I love, 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 loved it. Zena, listen, you're incredibly generous to take this time. You're six months into a new role at Sephora, so you have a lot to do. I think there's a small thing coming up like a holiday season that matters to retailers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you're really you're very generous to do this now. If you'd said, Greg, don't you even dare talk to me until January, I would have been okay. <laughs> and I'm super excited to welcome you into the MMA family. I know you and I have been talking about this for a little while. So the board's super excited, so am I. So really thank you for this. I really appreciate it. Listeners appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Greg. Thanks again to Zena Arnold from Sephora for coming on Building Better CMOs. Check the description of this episode for links to connect with Zena. And if you want to know more about MMA's work to unlock the power of marketing, please visit MMAglobal.com or attend any one of MMA's 30 plus conferences in the 15 countries where we operate or write me, Greg, at MMAglobal.com. Thank you so much for listening. Tap the link in the description to leave us a review. If you're new to the show, please follow or subscribe on Apple, Amazon, iHeart, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find links to all those places and more at buildingbettercmos.com. Our producer and podcast consultant is Eric Johnson from lightningpod.fm. Our project manager is Lily Mahoney. Artwork is by Jason Chase. And a special thanks to Lacera Smith for making the engines run. This is Greg Stewart. I'll see you in two weeks.